Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallet. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sitkus. And together we host the Silver Screensavers podcast. And today we are discussing Nope and the directorial career of Jordan Peele. If you'd like to skip right to that, there's going to be a timestamp in the episode description because we're going to talk about a couple of things first. First, of course, is our weekly watch list. And to start, we have a collective item. And that is a movie we've been excited about for a long time that we finally got to see, which was Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. This is about a man who lives in an Airbnb, and he makes a documentary about a shell and his grandmother who live in the home in the wake of their family disappearing. Uh, It is an animation live-action hybrid directed by Dean Fleischer Camp. It was written by him, Jenny Slate, who does a really phenomenal job voicing Marcel, uh, and also written by Nick Paley. They had done, like, shorts films of Marcel before this, but this is the big feature-length premiere. Matt, what did you think of Marcel the Shell? I thought it was absolutely delightful. No complaints at all, easily, in my top ten movies of the year. Very simple plot, but just... The, the little bits and the jokes. I mean, it basically, if you go on YouTube and you find the Marcel the Shell shorts and you enjoy those, this movie takes everything that was good about those and then cranks them up to another 10, especially with the inclusion of Grandma Connie, or Nana Connie, the grandmother character voiced by Isabella Rossellini. Um, it just... It, it, it brings a whole spectrum of emotion... I mean, it on the surface, it's mostly happy-go-lucky, but it still brings some genuine emotion and heart to this character and keeps you invested the whole time. It's an hour and a half. Was it an hour and a half or hour and... Yeah, only an hour and a half, but it went by like nothing, and I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it again and just jump back in. It was just nice, lighthearted, easy-watching fun. Agree with everything you said. Tyler, what did you think? I thought it was just a, a real joy to watch. Like I, I think I spent most of the time just smiling, laughing, um, genuinely emotion that I felt for this film. There was some melancholy scenes, but I think they cut it with enough levitivity that's not like a downer. It's a very positive, upbeat film, and I recommend it to almost anyone. I, I really enjoyed the experience. Yeah, it, it's. You're right. If you watch the trailer, this is exactly what you think it is, but like in the very best way. Uh, if you're into that, you'll you'll really like the movie. It's maybe the funniest movie I have seen all year. Um, and it's cute and sweet, and you can just watch it as a cute and sweet movie, and it would be very enjoyable. But if you're looking for something a little more, it doesn't shy away, like you said, from the melancholy, the like very quietly tragic aspects of life. It's very insightful about how difficult it is to forge a good life after things don't turn out the way you thought they would or you lose something really important to you. Um, Also gets at something about being an individual, but knowing that your separate personality is fed by all the people around you. Animation is really stunning. Apparently it is eligible for um, best animated feature, so it better show up there. It made the even like these terrifying spiders look adorable. If I saw it in real life, I would have a heart attack. But on the screen, they look so cute. Uh, we sat very close to the screen. We were like in the second row from the front. And I'm glad we did because it was nice to be so close. It was like we were in the house. It was really cool. I just have one other uh, weekly watch list item. And that was a movie on Amazon Prime. It's called Don't Make Me Go. This is about 
a father who is keeping a big secret from his teenage daughter, and he takes her on a road trip to meet her estranged mother. It's directed by Hannah Marks and written by Vera Herbert. I really enjoyed this. It stars John Cho and Mia Isaac. They play the father and daughter. They have really great chemistry, and I think that's the highlight of the film. It's worth it to watch them. It's one of those stories, you know, it gets messier and more entangled as things go along and you learn more history about the characters and all that kind of stuff. As far as a road trip movie goes, which is a genre I enjoy, none of the scenes are really that memorable, but it's still fun. It does a strange thing where in the beginning we get voiceover from Wally, who is the daughter, and she says something to the effect of, you're going to like this story, but you won't like how it ends. Like, they say that right in the beginning, which is odd for a movie to call it shot like that. Not that it's unprecedented, but it's kind of weird. Much of the critical response has been focused on the twist that comes in at the end, and it does come. And the only reason I'm mentioning that, not to spoil it, but just as a warning, like, it is upsetting. So if you're not in the mood for something upsetting, I would say maybe watch this another time. And I can kind of see why they did it, but it's it really not perfect. It's a total 180. Um, but I still like the movie. All right, I'm going to turn things over now to Matt, who's going to talk about the big Marvel announcements. So, yes, um, this past week, San Diego Comic-Con came and went. And there was a lot of cool stuff announced there besides Marvel stuff, but Marvel just gave us a smorgasbord of content, at least content that's slated over the next basically two and a half to three years. We're not really going to go into full detail because that'd be a whole episode on its own. And we usually stick to more of the movies and there's more than just movies announced at Comic-Con, obviously. But I do want to sort of run through the Marvel slate for the next couple of years. And I realize I'm on a bit of an island as far as my Marvel enthusiasm. So I'm here for you. I know I'm mostly going to be talking for myself at this point, but feel free to chime in, guys, if uh, if there's anything you want to comment on. So, starting off, we got She-Hulk dropping next month as a TV series, um, but they dropped a new trailer for it. I think it looks better than ever, and I'm really excited for it. I was already excited for it. So this is a character I was excited for as well. I didn't love the newest trailer, but um, I, I think I still have hope in it. I don't know. I'm just here for more Hulk content because I feel like the MCU doesn't have enough Hulk content in it. Yeah, Hulk has kind of gotten shortchanged as far as like solo projects. You have a good point. Yeah, and I like She-Hulk as a character, and it's good to see, um, good to see Smart Hulk back in somewhat of a supporting role, but just yeah. to be there. And then. Next up on the Marvel slate is Wakanda Forever, which we got a full trailer for that, but I want to put a pin in that because we're saving that for the end of this little segment here. Moving on, on February 17th, 2023, we got Ant-Man Quantumania. My thoughts on that one, I loved both of the Ant-Man movies, and I'm hoping to see more Kang in that after the little bit of of, uh, sprinkle of Kang that we got at the end of Loki. Did you guys guys got anything to say on Ant-Man Quantumania? One, I just I I want to see Michael Douglas, so that's my kind of main selling point on it. And two, and I don't watch the Kaminsky method. And two, <laughs> K- Kang is gonna be a super big 
piece, yes? That's my understanding? It seems like that's what they're setting it up. I mean, one of the new Avengers movies is called The Kang Dynasty, so... Which we're going to get to that. Alright, yeah, let's let's do it. Yeah, we're going to get to that, because there's more to say about that one. But then after that, we've got one that we've been waiting for for about six years, is it now? Almost? Six years since the last Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so we're, yeah, I'm excited for that one. Yeah, we're getting Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, long-awaited James Gunn, his sort of Guardians, the finale with uh, the team that we're currently on. Um, and it's adding some interesting talent that I'm excited for. It's got Will Poulter coming in as Adam Warlock. Oh, really? Which, you, if anyone remembers, he was teased at the end of the last Guardians movie. Before the whole James Gunn firing and rehiring and Suicide Squad oh, yeah. and all. Um, we got Chuck Woody Uji, which I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, who was fantastic in James Gunn's other recent work with Peacemaker. And Maria Bakalova is also a part of the cast here. Guess who she's playing, if you didn't see it already? Ooh. Cosmo the Space Dog. Oh, okay. Oh, that, hey. I mean, any any other project I would be like, what the hell is that? But, you know, I trust <laughs> it. Whatever. Guardians is, is my favorite MCU movie. I was watching a commercial the other day, and I'm like, I was so impressed. I was like, it's so incredible that the character of Groot has been so successful and has gone on for so long, and he's got one line. <laughs> it's it's astounding. It's a testament to Vin Diesel's age. <laughs> and, and I always forget that it's Vin Diesel, and I'm like, he's made a billion dollars probably off of this. <laughs> yeah, wow, true. like what a character. Living off that Groot money. I forgot to mention, he does have a series of Groot shorts coming out next month, too, around... Like, I think that's what before. I saw the ad for. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, it's like a week before She-Hulk. Um, okay, so after that, we've got Echo, um, who was a character in the Hawkeye series. Alakwa Cox, who played her, was pretty fantastic in that, so I'm excited to see her again. Tyler, you saw Hawkeye. What do you think? I think it's fine. There's kind of a background character that, you know, her whole character arc is kind of uh, undone. I'm not going to spoil the show by the fact that they've announced that someone's coming back for Daredevil. I don't know. I'm still excited. I thought she did good in that. And I mean, it's good to see the deaf representation in a character like that. Um, we got Loki season two coming out the summer of 2023 as well. I love Loki. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I love the first season of Loki. I'm interested to see where that goes. There's uh, maybe even get a Thor cameo in that. I'd be okay with that. Um, we got the Marvels, which I don't have a full opinion on whether I'm excited for it or not because I didn't finish Ms. Marvel yet. So I'm moving on. Unless you guys have something to say. What is the Marvels? Like, what does that it's entail? Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel teaming up, I imagine. Oh, that's sweet. A, oh, Maybe okay. I'll get called a crook again. <laughs> See, that's why you don't remember the scrolls, is because you were too busy being embarrassed. For each yeah, season. yeah, that's, that's the reason. Um, I don't remember the scrolls. And then, don't forget, we have... Um, so, in, then in November, we have Mahershala Ali as Blade... Say yeah. less, fam. 
That's um, the one I'm excited for. I love how Marvel is teasing movies in other movies. Like, in seven years, you'll see what this is referencing to. It, I mean, it does feel kind of corporate conveyor belty, but I'm, I'm shelving that conversation because I don't want to have it right now. I just want. Yeah, I thought the same. I thought the same thing, but then I'm like, you know what? Let's just dive in. Whatever. I'm gonna watch it. It'll be cool. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, stop defending the Disney Corporation. All right, we got after that. We got Ironheart, which I'm withholding my expectations on that until we see her in something yeah, coming much sooner. Yeah. Is that a spoiler to say? Considering I mean, she's in well, the we trailer? haven't talked about we haven't talked about the trailer yet, so. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, after that, we've got Agatha, Coven of Chaos, another series. I think it could be a sleeper hit. I'm not super here nor there about an Agatha series. I mean, I'll have to see what happens when it comes out. See, my main complaint about this, and I think they're doing it with Star Wars too, is they're taking every character imaginable and just being like, let's give them a full series. Like, it's, it's too much content you're giving us. We don't need all this. We don't need a like an like for this random character that was in like two episodes of a show. I'm not saying she was, but I'm just saying this is their whole strategy now is to make it a show for every character. Are you alluding to the Andor series there? Andor, yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> I'm not very stoked for the Andor series. I will admit. I was gonna make a meme reference, but it's a, it's not a <laughs> safe for works. If Agatha was played by anybody else, I would agree with you, but I'm not going to complain. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, Catherine Hahn, yeah, I'm not going to counter her. Enough, but... Although, do you think it was it was House of Harkness, right? Originally, yeah. Which one do you think is the better title? I think they're both pretty good. I think it depends on what the content of it actually is. Right, fair enough. Um, if it does involve... I mean, a coven alludes to there being more than one witch involved, so... It's true. They should rename it Heart of Darkness, and then she's on the Congo. <laughs> uh, no, let's, let's no, thank you. On that one. All right. Next up, we got Daredevil: Born Again in the spring of 2024. Which, hey, I mean, Netflix Daredevil series and um, Charlie Cox was probably one of the most definitive takes of Daredevil. Well, I guess compared to Ben Affleck for sure. Ben Affleck coming back, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's a multiversal. I mean, right? we can we can have a debate on who's doing better in life overall as an as a person between Ben Affleck and Charlie I, Cox later. But for all I give Marvel crap about, this is the exception to the rule. Daredevil is my favorite Marvel superhero. I love the Daredevil Netflix series, and I'm absolutely here for more Daredevil. Scrap everything else and just give me everything with Daredevil. Well, supposedly they're doing like 18 episodes of it, so they're they're giving you your Daredevil, all okay, right? Okay, you're giving me too much Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> you need to cut that back a bit. That's too much. All right, we got a couple more. So we got the next Captain America in May of 2024 called Captain America New World Order. Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie. All right. That's pretty much all we can say for sure. I'm, I mean, I'm hoping... That's the cast. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping Sebastian Stan comes back in some capacity. I really liked their dynamic in Cap, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, but obviously we're getting to the point where we don't know a lot about the plots other than just these movies exist and these are the titles. Um, and then the Thunderbolts in July of 2024. July 25th, actually, so just under two years from now. Um, that's going to be basically like an anti-hero team-up 
We got a few of them already on the roster. We got U.S. Agent. We got Yelena Belova and Baron Zemo. Uh, Abomination is supposed to be one of them, allegedly. I don't know. We're getting into speculation at this point, so I'm not going to say much more. And then that caps off Phase 5, according to Marvel. And they announced a couple glimpses at the phase even beyond that um with a fantastic war movie which we've known about not much else is known other than that and then the next couple avengers movies called the kang dynasty and the secret wars respectively the last thing i'll say on this whole little tangent spiel is they did announce a director for the next avengers movie so that's the kang dynasty and that is Destin Daniel Cretton, who did Shang-Chi, which yeah, was okay. one of the better good. Phase 4 movies, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. That's exciting. And you know what? A lot, of, a lot has been made about moving away. Oh, we're moving away from you know the old phase of Marvel. And, you know, there was a certain point where that was sad because it's missing the old characters. But, like... I'm happy that we're getting all new people, right? I don't I don't want to hang on to the old... I don't want to have Thor 8 with... As much as I love Chris Hemsworth, yeah, bring us the new stuff. That's cool. Um, as far as, like, other San Diego Comic-Con stuff, some of our fellow podcasts are covering it in better depth than we are today, including our friends over at Metalcore Nerds, ODPH Podcast... I believe So Wizard is covering it on their Patreon if you want to subscribe to their Patreon. And yeah, so a lot of stuff broke there, but I wanted to break down at least the Marvel stuff as your resident Marvel fan on this podcast. So after all that all that content that's been announced, I just want to circle back to the probably the biggest piece of news to come out of San Diego Comic-Con, which is the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer. And Personally, let me... Hang on. And honestly, the more I think about it, the more excited I get for this movie. I thought Angela Bassett's speech at the beginning was very powerful, very moving. I, I The thing is, with the trailer, you can feel Chadwick Boseman's absence. But at the same time, it definitely sets up some good hints as far as what we might get or what it might look like in a T'Challa-less MCU. They're bringing in Namor the Submariner, which is pretty cool. And um, if nothing else, I mean, there's bound to be a banger of a soundtrack if it's anything like the soundtrack to the first Black Panther movie. I mean... Yeah, even the trailer music was composed pretty well. Um, I've seen Angela Bassett move me during a presentation at an awards ceremony, so no doubt she'll be great. Um... Yeah, the, the, the absence of T'Challa is is tragic. And what I like about this trailer, um, one, it looks photographed really beautifully, but two, it doesn't look like it's just going to be kind of introduce villain, fight him, beat villain by the end. It looks like it's going to be some sort of different story. However, I will say from the trailer, not that it's a bad thing, I don't know what this is about at all. It's a teaser, you know, it's... It was a long teaser. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the word teaser means nothing now. It's just a full-length trailer that they don't, like, just spoil the movie in. I mean, it's it's not like the Nope trailer where they just drop the majority of the plot in the second trailer. 
Yeah, that was terrible. Even though, even you... though there's still plenty more to unpack there, which obviously we'll get to, but... You could really feel the Worcesters jump off the screen. <laughs> I'm excited for it. It was yeah. cool when they just cut to the, the Woo Sox game. All right, we're also going to talk about one other trailer, a, a prequel for a movie that we had already gotten this year. This is Pearl. This is a prequel to X which we all loved a few months ago. You can go back and listen to our episode from that, and you should watch it if you're a horror fan. Guys, how often do we see this? A prequel premiering later in the year in which the original movie was released. It's crazy, but I really love it. Uh, This is about Pearl, who, it's not really a spoiler to say, was the killer from the first movie. She's an old woman in X, but in this movie, she's in her youth. She wants to be a beloved star entertainer, and she will do anything, anything violent to get there. What do you guys think of this trailer, Matt? I'm 100% on board. I've been on board with this since I first saw the teaser for it at the end of X, after the credits. Mm. We knew it was coming. I'm glad we're getting it sooner than I expected. I figured it'd be like maybe late fall, December time frame. But I'm really glad we're getting it this soon. I love the aesthetic in this trailer. It's very well, like a lot, like pretty much all of Ty West's work. It's very period, period accurate, or at least trying to be like an homage to the period of time that it takes place in, as far as the colors and the set pieces, and and it's also pretty cool that the story behind this one is that he shot both films back to back using pretty much the same set pieces. So I'm really interested to see what he does and how he does that. Um, if this is even half as good as X, it's probably going to end up with Ty West having two of my top ten spots for the end of the year. Mm. That would be incredible. Tyler, what would you think? I thought, it, uh, I mean, I agree with everything Matt said. I think it looks really good. I'm really pumped for it. I'm shocked at how different it looks, like, just by, like, the uh, style of filming it was when they shot these so close together, um, back to back. I don't know. I I mean, I get why they did it, and I'm not complaining about it. I think it looks really cool. I'm just shocked about that, the difference between them. Like, to watch these back to back and think they were shot at the same time is kind of interesting. Yeah, I... It's funny that you say it looks different. You you know, we do get this beautiful, what looks like Technicolor here. This seems more like a thrilling, intense drama or thriller than it does a horror movie, um, as opposed to X, which is not a bad thing. Mia Goth looks incredible, and she was incredible in X. And I, you know, I was thinking about this. I fear that she is going to be a performer who just keeps shelling out incredible entertainment but isn't gonna get like her due as far as credit um in in like the public sphere I don't, it's just kind of a random thought that i hope doesn't happen i hope um hope she gets her due but apparently ty west is planning like his own cinematic universe he wants to make more of these things he has one set to go that is set in the 80s apparently about how home video has affected people um so i i'm very pumped up for this one you know, going back to Mia Goth for a second, I think, like, I've seen her in plenty of other things, but I think this character is, pro- is absolutely her best work so far, and I really yeah. hope this gets her more paths to success. Um, 
just in X when she played the dual roles as Pearl and Maxine, and then in this one, um, and you can you can kind of tell just by like her involvement in the creative process, at least that we can tell from the trailer so far. You know, she's playing this part to the best extent she can. She actually co-wrote this one. Oh, awesome. Um, with Ty West, so you can tell she clearly cares a lot about this character and I'm really interested to see more of it and I'm glad it's coming out so soon and about less than two months I know it's it's this is such a, <laughs> an odd thing I haven't seen anything like this I guess since Fear Street uh, which was like a three consecutive week movie release thing but I love to see it you guys ready to talk about Jordan Peele I'm ready all right nope just so- kidding yeah <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, as many times as I've heard that pun, I wasn't expecting to say it right there. So it's a good one. So uh, Jordan Peele, beloved performer, was in comedy for many years, but really sharp writer. Um, not saying that comedians aren't sharp writer, but he was always a very sharp writer, excellent performer. And then, you know, a few years ago, starting in 2017, he's in a new light as this this horror supreme director so what do you guys think of him as a filmmaker and i guess i'll ask this are his films ones that stay with you do you think about them often matt well a little bit of a spoiler but this last one is definitely one of them but realistically all of them are even us which i think was probably the weaker of the three because he layers in a lot of these social commentaries and complex themes that that really you got to chew on to think what was his meaning. And and the thing is, he doesn't really explain what he means after the fact. He just kind of leaves it ambiguous and lets people come to their own conclusions. Even, even though there is a general consensus with most of them. But... Um, yeah, he, he leans into the intelligence of the audience, which is, I, th- I think, a great just instinct for a filmmaker. For sure, for sure. Tyler, what about you? What do you think of him? So I, I really like his work. I think it's crazy. He's only made three films, but they're three drastically different films with different themes, and yet he's done so well with all of them. I do think he is the master at like putting in details that like you think about, and like they're maybe not even that crucial to the story, but there's something that stood out to you, and you're just like, oh, what did that mean? And it's like maybe it wasn't even that consequential, but like it's just something that you think about, and like you're like that had to have a meaning. And he doesn't tell you, he doesn't give it to you, like you said, Matt. So it definitely, I find his work very interesting. Yeah, he's his attention to detail is second to none, in in at least the modern horror landscape. Yeah, I. He is somebody who knows how to manufacture intrigue. Like, you know, we... I won't say what, but at the beginning of Nope, there are a few flashes of something going on, and you're like, what? Like, what is that? I know we're going to learn about it later, but, like, what is going on there? He's really great at that. Um, If you think about the beginning scene of Get Out, it's, again, it's like, what is going on here? I got to know, like, the explanation for that. He knows how to pull, like, seemingly disparate elements into a cohesive story maybe not in one of his movies which we'll get to later Uh, and he the biggest thing he's he knows how to combine blockbuster level entertainment and scripts that are really intelligent explorations of personal social intellectual issues i don't 
it may have potentially had a, I don't want to say backlash with Nope. Um, Because I feel like some people are digging for things, as I found myself, that maybe, I don't know, maybe sometimes there's too much digging and it's kind of hurting the entertainment value. We'll get to that. He's also an excellent image maker. And I realized after watching Nope and rewatching his other movies that each of his films so far has explored some horrifying animal incidents which is an interesting motif. You know, we got the, the deer in Get Out, you got the rabbits in Us, and there's there's some, some crazy animal stuff happening in Nope um, that we're going to talk about. But obviously it starts all in 2017 with Get Out. If anybody has not seen it, you definitely should. It's about a young black man who goes to meet and stay with his white girlfriend's family. Everyone acts strangely there. I don't want to say any more than that. Because um, you should just experience it for yourself. I Get Out is a unique achievement in the best possible way. This, I think, is the prime example of the supreme entertainment. Like you, you don't want to blink during this thing with a really smart depth, room for discussion. It's really suspenseful. You get more engrossed with it as it goes on, um, and you know it broke through. It's nominated for four Oscars, Best Picture. Best Director, Best Actor for Daniel Kaluuya, and Best Original Screenplay. And Jordan Peele was the first African-American writer to win that. Um, so it was, you know, very historic and excellent achievement. The cast is great. Lil Ray Howery, I, I just, he's just somebody I enjoy in everything. I don't even know what it is about him, but he's hilarious in this. And Betty Gabriel has this crazy monologue that the camera just holds on her face, and she's got to do all 17 different things in the span of a minute, and it's insane. You guys like Get Out? Oh, I loved Get Out. It's it it's such a classic. Just the between the, the genuine suspense with like just enough levity to kind of break the tension before it ramps right up again. Um, the uh, the cast is just fantastic. Kaluuya is. I mean, I I think is this is this not one of the movies that really put him on the map? I mean, besides like he was in like Black Mirror and I would say this is the one. Deservedly so, he was fantastic. Catherine Keener is the the mother. Bradley Whitford is the yeah, father. Like it's it's an interesting role because Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford are like people you love but it's always interesting when beloved actors are placed in these roles that are like so disgusting and vile um we, we, it's an interesting play with the public we had finch's robot as the brother yeah, yeah. <laughs> caleb landry jones finch, <laughs> finch's robot <laughs> go go back and listen to our our finch episode for all the people who saw finch <laughs> All 15 of you. <laughs> I liked Finch, but uh, Tyler, what do you think? So I don't want to say too much just because I think it's a, a movie you should experience with like the least amount. I mean, if, you, if you're if you this far into it and you don't know anything about it, props to you. Go, go watch it now. Um, but I just want to say that I was one of the people late to it. I mean, I watched it a couple of years ago. Um, so I was probably out three years, two, three years at that point. And, like, everyone was talking about how this is the greatest film ever. And I'm like, yeah, it's probably not that good. It's getting overhyped. And I was blown away by it. So, I mean, just even if you're thinking, like, there's no way this movie can be as good as everyone says, I think it is. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, he follows it up a couple of years later in 2019 with Us. This is about a family that goes on vacation and they're terrorized by their own doppelgangers. I really like this one. I think it's a lot of fun. It's really scary. I remember being totally creeped out by just the trailer. Just those couple of minutes is really like, ooh. Uh, the production design is really incredible. With the tunnels, the house, I was very impressed from the very beginning with the carnival, all that kind of stuff. Lupita Nyong'o, fantastic in dual roles. Winston Duke does a really good job of being a dad who just wants to have a good vacation and is like trying to suppress his anger with all the stupid stuff going on. The uh, whole cast is great. There's a lot of fun mystery and theories behind the mom and son characters, played by Evan Alex. And I think I have a reaction to this one that I've seen a lot of people had to nope, which is that there are a few plot holes in Us, but they don't really bother me because I just, I really enjoyed it. Um, can't can't say the same for, for everyone, but we will, we will talk about that. You guys like Us? So I enjoyed Us. I do think it's his weakest work, personally, in my opinion. Um, I, I was like really into it for a while and then it just kind of comes into this big exposition dump that really took me out of it and like so bad that it just kind of like killed it for me like all the momentum was gone but like i mean that's just a minor issue i think it works for the most part um it's scary it's got some crazy scenes that like just watching them because i mean i just saw this movie for the first time this week um just like i'm glad i didn't get that much info info on this movie um but yeah, like just it, when it as it starts unwinding and kind of explaining its story, it just kind of loses me, and that's my only real complaint with it. I mean, one thing this movie does I, that I like that I think he does with all his, all his movies is he takes a familiar trope or a familiar setup, like in this case the home invasion thriller, but he puts his own spin on it and really just like takes it totally in a new direction that. Almost nobody would could have possibly guessed or expected going into it. He does it with this. He does it with Nope. Yeah, there's a lot of great reversals in Us. I, I really like Us. Um, I like Us, we too. We're going to move. I think we're doing good. <laughs> yeah. Not I, Us. I, we're awful. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need more Tim Heidecker in horror movies. So. Yeah, that's true. Agreed. All right. We are going to move to Nope after a brief word from our podcast friends. Stick around. Has this ever happened to you? You're in bed, drifting off, and suddenly think, Who would win in a tug-of-war match between Superboy and Merlin? Did Marvel ever try to make a long-haul trucker into a superhero? How would it work out if I named my dog after a D-list supervillain? The answers in order are Merlin. Yes. And amazing. I'm Jessica. And I'm Mike. And we host the podcast Ten Cent Takes a show that looks at weird, silly, and cool moments from comics and how they're woven into the larger fabric of history. Moments like the time Superman shilled for Radio Shack. When Archie got tempted by the devil. Oh, and then there was that time that DC Comics gave a superhero AIDS in an effort to be topical. It's always weird around here, but we'd like to think it's also interesting. So come with us and commit random acts of pop culture archaeology, one issue at a time. If you'd like to learn more, Head over to TenCentTakes.com. We are back talking about Nope, the latest from Jordan Peele. 
This is about siblings on a horse ranch who attempt to evade and photograph a UFO plaguing their home. This is written and directed by Jordan Peele, of course. Matt, what did you think? What were your general thoughts? And would you recommend this to people? So first of all, this was one of the most gorgeously shot movies I've seen this year. I mean, they tout that they filmed it on IMAX film cameras and all, and that was pretty fancy. But just like the set pieces and the landscape pieces of like the being in the valley and and just the the entire set setting of like the ranch was just phenomenal in my opinion it was well acted i loved kiki palmer and daniel kaluuya and the way they played off of each other as like polar opposite personality types thought that was very effective um i loved the sound design in this movie as well every pop every like every like bump every sound it was just it was just very very um i can't even hang on visceral yeah every sound every pop was just very visceral and we're not go- doing going into spoilers yet but there's one scene especially that maximizes the sound design to very horrific effect I'd say it's definitely worth rewatching. I did get a chance to see it twice before we went in to record this. And like I was saying before, Jordan Peele's attention to detail is second to none. And it's very apparent in this movie because when you go and watch it a second time, you pick up on a lot more of the little details and background pieces that just make it just a just as fun of an experience the second time and around in my opinion if if not better which i i did actually enjoy it a little better the second time because i remember walking out and i was kind of i was positive but i was kind of like muted in my positivity but by the time i got through the second viewing i'm like i'm all in on this movie this is one of my favorites of the year the only gripe i'm and i'm really digging for gripes here that i'll say is that i could definitely feel the runtime but I said that about everything everywhere all at once too. But the thing is I enjoyed just about every minute of this movie and that movie to the point where it didn't even matter. All right. Well, good. Tyler, what do you think? I also really enjoyed this movie. Um, I think it was definitely, uh, I think it worked as a horror movie for the most part. Um, There was one particular scene, which I think you were referencing that, that really like just stuck with me and like I just think about it and like I hear it like I'll just hear it when I think about it and it worked really well I do think this movie suffered from having too much revealed from the trailers the first trailer I think was great um, definitely set up a lot of intrigue and then the second one kind of took a lot of that and gave too many story beats away I think it definitely had the intrigue but it made the reveal of like the mystery behind it not as effective that I think it would have been if I just saw the first one but I can't fault the movie for that. That's really a marketing thing. But I, I think it was effective enough twist that you get. Um, and I just really enjoyed kind of seeing, like, I mean, alien things aren't scary anymore. Like, they're more like a thing you see in action movies and such now. So I'm, I was really happy to see, like, an effective horror movie done about UFOs and such. Yeah, I, I have to view this film in a couple of ways. It took me a while to actually articulate what what I feel about this. I like a good portion of this movie. There, like you said, there's a lot of impressive filmmaking. It can't be denied. Um, probably the biggest technical achievement yet. All the details um, 
particularly the image making, which is a big part of what the film is about. It's a cool variation of what a UFO is. We can get into that later. There are good points here, good themes about needing to capture crazy things on films and like the dangers that we put ourselves through to do that and our arrogance around relationships to other creatures is a through line here. However, as an entertainment vehicle, as a watching experience, which Peel seemed to put particular emphasis on for this one, um, he said that he kind of wrote this when there was a fear um, around the decline of theatrical movie going. I don't like this very much. I like some of it. I, I really don't like it very much. I found quite a bit of it monotonous. There are some sequences that are just stretched too far. And at a certain point, I just wasn't that into the story and couldn't get back in. I think there's a shorter version of this movie that works a lot better. It's one of those things where like, you can give me every point of like, oh, this works with this and this and that. And yes, it all makes sense. All the details is are great. It, it just didn't get there for me. Um, you know, too many smart elements that aren't put together narratively. Like, again, thematically, I can see it, but it just doesn't totally work as a story for me. Certainly a well, good, well-made film, and I would recommend it to horror fans. One caveat, there is a scene, and I don't mean to spoil, but I did want to say there is a scene involving an animal brutally attacking people. And for me, it like crossed over from creepy fun to like a scene that's just kind of upsetting. Not that it's not effective and did what it needed to do in the movie but just fair warning if you're not into that kind of thing um i i did see one couple walk out of our screening i don't remember at which scene but i'd be interested to know now why they were like all right we're done this is it <laughs> uh, oh and then matt do you want to give the review of the person behind us <laughs> yeah somebody behind us was like that was the stupidest movie i've ever seen and i would love to know the last four of that person yeah, of the lowest Ridiculous. person here, it's 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 not the stupidest movie. <laughs> it's not the stupidest movie I've seen in the last week, so. <laughs> I do think the strongest, probably the strongest aspect of this is the sibling dynamic between Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer as OJ and M. Haywood, respectively. You know, they're playing kind of foils to each other. Daniel Kaluuya does a really great job of playing the stoic guy, but stoic is not uninteresting or bland. Um, he's just kind of somebody who internalizes, but you can tell that he's, you know, he's trying to keep it together this whole time. He's got this big legacy on his back, um, and he's trying to salvage it while dealing with these weird supernatural elements. And then Kiki Palmer was a lot of fun. She's very funny when she needs to be. She's very emotional when she needs to be. I thought she was really, really good in this. Um, yeah, she was on however, fire. I, I, yeah, I loved her really in this. Yeah, I, I do have to say, for all the, the good acting done, some of the emotional moments between the characters, like, just didn't, I don't know, they just didn't hit for me. They just kind of passed, and I was like, eh, okay. Um, I, I wasn't as into these characters some of the times as I should have been. Um, for instance... Stephen Yun, who's an actor I love and I've loved for years, he plays Ricky Jupe Park, who is a former child star who now runs um, like an entertainment carnival, would you guys say? How would you describe that? It's like a Western-themed amusement park, I think is how they describe it in the movie. Yeah, that's uh, 
Thank you. That's a better way of articulating it. I think he was good here, but he has. I think he's been better in other movies where he had better roles. Um, I think about Minati. I think about Burning, which is probably his best role. In this movie, he's very good at a couple of things, though. He's good at deflecting when someone asks him something he doesn't want to talk about. And he's very good at putting on a smile through thinking about something he can't ever get past, right? Like smiling through, you can tell when trauma is affecting him. Um, He is a character who is pretty much just kind of there because of a traumatic incident that happened in his past, which I think is uh, a weakness of the film. Um, I, I don't know. Were you guys, without giving too much away, were you guys satisfied with his character? I think his character was kind of just someone who's, like, always been about the spectacle that, like, I mean, in this, I'm going to kind of spoil a bit, but in, in his, when he's recounting his traumatic experience, he, he talks about it in terms of an SNL skit done on it. So, like, he's someone who's always focused on, like, this, the spectacle made out of, like, even how, however tragic it is, and I think he was effective at doing that. Like, he's turned his whole life into just a money-making, like exploitation of himself almost but do you think that was like a coping mechanism for him to a point i thought it was i'm sorry to like jump in but what you're saying is i i agree with what tyler you're saying about the spectacle and how he he really has spent the rest of his life like profiting off of this horrible thing but i agree um that's what i was referring to before is like when he is asked like oh what really happened that day He's like, oh, you know, they had this funny SNL skit. They do it the best. I thought that was like a, I'm trying to keep it light because I don't want to talk about that thing at all. Because we do see snippets afterward where he's really disturbed about what happened. I just like that he, when he was describing the SNL skit, he was using, well, obviously it took place in the late 90s, so they used, pe- yeah. you know, period accurate SNL cast members. But I love the fact that they that he had Catan playing you know what because he basically did do a character like that on snl for real exactly like that i'm convinced that the woman behind us was a big chris Catan fan and and couldn't couldn't (laughs) take the slander the sarcasm in the movie um as i mentioned before oh oh quick tidbit one keith david in this is in this and he's great but i I don't, I don't want to say he's underused because his character is meant to be there for a short time, but I did, I did feel an absence. I wanted like a little something more out of him that the film didn't give me. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's just a cameo at that point, more than a full blown character. Because at a certain point, they don't even really reference him or his character except for some minor details in the background. Like there's one scene where she's watching a video of him basically doing the whole narration that she of the spiel that she does at the movie lot about the the history of their family you're right you could like he's there through the legacy that he left but like him as an individual character i guess i just wanted more out of you can never go wrong with more keith david no never i read that jesse plemons denied a role in this to work on killers of the flower moon um, that would have been very interesting if he had been in this. I would like to see that movie. Uh, also, Kill as a Flower Moon, we're not getting this year. It's going to be 2023, I guess. So who do you think he would have been? Like, Stephen Young's character? or I don't... Mm, 
I don't know. I don't know where he would fit. Maybe the young character, because he does kind of have that somewhat quiet demeanor, um, which could definitely mask a lot of things. He does that a lot frequently in movies. So that, that might be a good one. I think that's a good idea. As I mentioned, Jordan Peele stated that he wrote this at a time when um, a lot of people, professional filmmakers, were worried about the future of cinema. So he really wanted to create a spectacle, something people could go to the movies and say, oh, wow, holy crap. Was he successful in that to you guys? Were you, were you guys wowed by what you saw here? 100%, I would say. I It was one of my favorite theater-going experiences of the year, both times I saw it. Um, like I said, if plot details, story aside, just so, so much of the cinematography in this movie was just fantastic. It was just beautiful, a spectacle to see on screen. I think he definitely achieved that goal. Tyler, were you entertained throughout the entire runtime here? I will say, that's what I was going to say. I, I do agree there was some great spectacle in this, but I mean, there were spots where it kind of dragged a bit. Um, where it just didn't feel like that was necessary. Like you said before, like a shorter movie would have worked better. And I mean, I agree with parts of that. Like it did feel a little too long. So I'm sh- kind of shocked that that's what he was going for, for this film. Not that it was anything wrong with it. A beautifully, beautifully shot film, great scenes, but like some of it just kind of went on for a while that I'm shocked that like he was going for a theatrical quote unquote experience with the entire film, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, I think he, he he mostly achieves the spectacle of it. Uh, as you said, there are some pacing issues. But what I really appreciate is that, you know, his need to make a spectacle is reflected in the characters. You know, the, this whole time we see people being worried about not getting anything on film, right? This whole movie is about siblings who see a UFO and they don't go, oh, we have to get out of here. They go, we have to get evidence, photographic evidence of that, right? And other characters do similar things. You know, in essence, I was thinking about this too. This is a haunted house movie because, you know, although it's not in the house, they're on a ranch and the UFO is surrounding their ranch, right? It's, it's, it's haunting their home. And the question you always have to grapple with in a haunted house movie is why don't those people just leave? And I think this movie does a pretty good job of answering this, right? They have this whole history of being this black-owned Hollywood horse training ranch that they don't want to let go of, pass down from their family. Um, So I I thought it gave a pretty good reason. So I, I appreciated that. That was a nice spin on the genre. All right, I think... We're going to get into spoilers because it's tough to talk about some of the stuff without talking about the specifics. So this is the spoiler warning right now. Spoiler warning. If you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. The father's death, Keith David's death, um, in the beginning we just see like... (laughs) invisible well we don't see invisible but there's like invisible objects raining down from the sky what did you guys think that was when you first saw it because i thought that was very effective um you know keith david going right down but i had no idea what it was at the time 
So at the time, I thought it was like the alien attacking, like shooting something down on onto them, like actually attacking them. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Um, you know, you know what it was, but again, that's the thing of like Peel is really good at giving you just enough, so you go, okay, I gotta, I gotta connect the dots here. I gotta know the rest. Um, we also get the shots early on of just like the bloody chimp and somebody's legs lying down on the ground, which is like, oh wow, this, this is a really great way. Good thing they kept any chimps out of the trailer. Mm. Uh, That's true. That, that was a real freaky surprise. Yeah. Should we just do the Gordy scene now? Yeah, let's talk about it now. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so Gordy scene, um, Stephen Young's character, Jupe, he was a former child star, and he starred on a, a sitcom um, where like the main character was a chimp that lived with a family, and he was like the son. And one day on set... Uh, something these balloons go off one of them pops and it sets the chimp off and he is it confirmed that the chimp killed a couple of the stars of the show i believe so i believe they're dead and he at least least um, deforms the face of one of the other stars Mm -hmm. and this was incredibly effective and this was the scene that i was referencing when i said it's just like really upsetting and you're just like, oh, man, this is one of the freakiest things I've seen in a while. However, I'm questioning if that undercuts the rest of the movie, because this was definitely the most effective, at least scary scene for me. Not the alien. The alien was not, like, the creepiest thing in the movie. Uh, I, I'd be willing to, to, to contest that a bit. I mean, this, this is probably my favorite, but... I think the alien had its own moments. Like what? Like when it abducted all the people and they're like in like the in like the the like digestive tract or whatever you want to call it and they're like screaming and it's like dark and creepy and then you see like the horse skull and then you hear like the crunching noises and again the sound design is superb and just yeah, gross and v- visceral in that scene and the the Gordy scene when he's beating the people up and killing them, like every, like I said, every punch just, you just almost feel it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Tyler, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I took the Gordy thing to kind of um, loop around to the alien scene, in which case, like, he got the wrong message out of that interaction. Not that, like, he wasn't making eye contact with Gordy because of the tablecloth, which is the reason, like, the the chimp was okay with him um which they do say like later which they do like allude to later in the movie when like uh oj doesn't make eye contact with the alien it kind of ignores him so that was kind of a big thing um and i think instead Joop got like hey i can just control these like i'm capable of controlling this and like i could profit off of this so i think that was the reason like, he kind of just got the wrong message from that interaction and thought like i'm coming out and it ended up being his demise I think you're absolutely right and astute. And this is one of those things that, like, thematically, I totally get it, right? Our relationship to creatures that maybe we shouldn't be messing with them in the setting that we're messing with them. However, this just, it just felt like a scene from another movie. I think that character in that situation needs more development. And it just, it fell out of place to me. Um, so I, 
while it was very effective, I think it's most effective in another movie. And I think um, Jupe the character needed more here. Also, what's the deal with the slipper standing up? That's another one of those things that I was talking about earlier with with our Peel discussion. And I just think he adds stuff in that's just kind of like inconsequential for the most part. Like, you know, it's almost like, you know, like it's just a, a bad miracle that it's stuck like that. And like, it's not really that important to it. Okay. But... All right, fair. I was wondering if there was perhaps an alien connection. Um, you know, we, we do get all this imagery of rising, standing up. Also, it was the balloons, like floating up in the air um that that freaked gordy out which is foreshadowing for what happens in the end uh like really good scene very impressive i just think it, it it's better served somewhere else the, um uh, the one thing i'll concede about that plot line is i did feel like it ended pretty abruptly pretty much when yeah when jupe got sucked up um it did but Considering the, I think the theme and the metaphor they're trying to go for there, I think it still belongs in the movie. There's a lot of people saying it didn't belong, but especially on second watch, it makes much, much more sense. Yeah, I, I can't it. deny that it belongs there thematically. I just as as a narrative, uh, but the scene where everyone is taken, which I thought um, was well done. First of all, question for you guys: What is a cactus icy? taste like because they had an icy <laughs> machine and one of the flavors was cactus actually it was I like even it was it was there twice it was on either end of the icy machine yeah what's that taste like green apple my guess was prickly pear <laughs> prickly pear yeah it's it's just a regular slushy but it's got like cactus uh like the pricks and cactus spikes just, ah, sucks. This, this is awful it's the most delicious thing in the world but there are spines in it it's yeah. the taste is indescribable i did really like the spin on what the ufo is a couple of things one is that it's not a ship for aliens but that it is a a living creature of its own that's a cool spin um and also great dilemma of like you're not supposed to look at it right or it goes hand in hand with the spectacle stuff of like our human instinct is look 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 like 90 percent of the times i've been stuck in traffic on the highway is because people are looking at an accident that's on the other side and uh, got a rubber neck yeah like please stop everybody um but like we we just want to look at it, especially something crazy. You gotta look. You gotta look. You gotta look. So like to resist that temptation to survive, really great, really great way to to put a spin on this genre. So I, yeah, I applaud it, him for that. It leads to one of the best lines in the film, which is when he mm. arrives back to the ranch and the thing is floating overhead over the ranch, and he just opens the door of his truck, looks up, sees it, and goes. Nope. Shuts the door. <laughs> they say nope like four times, and at least in the dialogue, just like in very methodical places, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I, I agree. And that, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe that was like the night of terror scene with the blood raining down. Yes, that was. Um, that was really cool. The horse, the fake horse through the, the windshield, yeah, that was, was a intense. great jump scare. Yeah. The movie doesn't overindulge in jump scares either, which uh, another point for it. The aliens in the barn scene, 
before I say anything, what did you guys feel and think during that? So, I'm going to be honest with you. I did more agree with what you think, Mike, and I think that would have been a more a better dynamic had they been real aliens. Um, I, I think that was just kind of a cheap thrill, like a cheap scare kind of thing that was just p- paid off kind of dumbly, in my opinion. But I mean, the whole I point it still worked. The whole point was it that it was supposed to be a fake scare because they were pranking them back for stealing the horse. No, I understand. I just mean narratively. I don't think that worked as well as if it was actual aliens. I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was effective enough. A f- fun fake out. I have to say this: those kids were very coordinated. In that, like when the <laughs> one leaned over, and that's when the other one leaned out of the stall, the horse stall. I was like, "Wow, these these kids have their timing down." Um, and the one could really take a punch. Yeah, that that kid was like, not. She was just like, "Oh man, that punch yeah, in the head." It was a strong mask. It was a very. <laughs> and this is Daniel Kaluuya punching. <laughs> very padded mask. It's like nothing. Yeah, I. That was creepy. That was fun, um, but it was one of those moments that happens in movies sometimes where it was like, "Oh, this is going in an interesting direction now," and it's just like, "Nope, that's not real." And I was like, "Oh, I, I as cool as like the UFO was, I kind of would have rather seen that movie," but that's just me. Probably would have been more conventional if he'd gone that route. Um, the cinematographer character antlers holse played by michael wincott he did a really good job i liked him because he played into this theme of like the hubris you know he's the cinematographer who's at the top of his field there's like nothing left to accomplish so he's bored in life so i'm i'm mixed on what happens to him in the end he they get good footage of the ufo seemingly like a lot of good footage but he's like no i gotta like look into its mouth with the camera which works again for like you know his hubris um again our need to like place image making and good footage over our own safety right which is happening with the gordy sitcom it's happening later with this tmz guy that just comes out of nowhere um i I don't know but it also Uh, narratively it was like did this guy really need to like go there and get sucked up by the ufo it was golden hour man he wasn't gonna get the perfect shot unless he went yeah i don't know it was like it it was fine i was just like a little oh okay I, i guess if you have to throw that in there yeah and then we get sort of the final confrontation where the ufo changes shape that was interesting um, I can't say I was like, wow, look look at how great that looks. I mean, it's obviously an achievement, but, you know, I thought that was all right. And then the TMZ guy in the motorcycle, again, he even when he's knocked down, which, first of all, like, the gag of him getting knocked down was funny. I, I don't know if it was, like, tonally appropriate <laughs> for the moment. I didn't even care. I it was funny enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even care. It was hilarious. Yeah, I, I don't know. That, Especially that, the whole... that scream that they gave him. <laughs> yeah. The whole final sequence was like not having the effect on me that I think it was aiming to. But again, he, even when he's knocked down, he's like, oh, I need my camera. Uh, you got to capture the image. He doesn't care about his own safety. Um 
I just I thought that this went on too long, and uh, I don't the know. Momentum I, wasn't there. I thought the, I thought the whole there were a lot of impressive things that they did with that with that last sequence, especially like with the wacky waving tube men guys to try and figure out like in the valley where the alien ship is. Thought that was pretty clever, effective. Yeah, it was, it was like again. I can't deny it's clever. I, don't know, I just didn't really care. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was impressive. Yeah. At a certain point, I'm just like, I can't see things shut down and start up and shut down anymore. Which is again not a criticism of the film, um, just my experience of it. Were you guys satisfied when the UFO exploded because of eating eating a big inflatable boy <laughs> cowboy? So when when we see the UFO outside of the normal shape, is that supposed to be like its real form? Like I assumed. Like, yeah. Okay. I I don't know. I just didn't think that that form was as effective. Um, I saw something that was like he was his main shape was a cowboy hat because he was getting all the horses from Jupe, and I'm like, oh, okay, mm. maybe. I um, <laughs> when I was listening to So Wizard podcast talk about it, they were saying that the form is supposed to be like a. A nod to Evangelion, some some yeah, angel yeah. thing in Evangelion. If that's the case, then cool, subtle nod. Same with the Akira motorcycle slide, but um, I I thought the scene with the 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 well taking the pictures went on way too long. Like, why just wait for it to come into like? Why, why are you taking a hundred photos when you can see as soon as it gets it, you can just take it. <laughs> I've never seen one of those things in my life. Have you guys? Neither. Those are interesting. <laughs> yeah, I. It, it was cool. And then when he comes in at the end, you know, it's I. It's I thought he survived. I guess people are debating that. Yeah, I just kind of assume he survived. Haze like thing. But like, also, what is the goal? They got the picture, but I mean, people are like, "That's fake." I don't believe yeah. that's a real picture. <laughs> Is that kind of part of the theme, kind of? I don't know, people risk this and then, like, all for not, because, like, people are like, I don't know if I believe that. It could be, it could be. I, I love that final shot of Kalia on the horse, though. With the, with the, with the orange Scorpion King hoodie. Like, I will say, that was great use of color with that. Him, him yeah. with the orange hoodie on the horse. That's a, that's great image making right there. Alright, well... Any final thoughts on Note before we, we play our director game? Well, it's probably still going to end up middle of the pack by the end of the year as far as my top ten goes. This is still probably one of my favorite movies of the year so far. And I recommend people go see it. You have mentioned a lot of contestants for the top ten, so I'm, I'm sure, interested yeah, I'm in, in what's going to make the what's final the cut. Final, yeah, the final top ten. Because I can relate. I'm just curious as to what's going to be on the final list. All right, well, we're going to play our director game now. For anyone who may not have heard our other episodes, parts one and two of this, uh, we have identified four directors that are making their third features this year. And coincidentally, all of them are in the freaky horror sci-fi realm often. And those are Robert Eggers, Alex Garland, Jordan Peele, and Ari Aster. I'm I'm still not entirely sure if Disappointment Boulevard is going to be coming out this year, so maybe this will only be a three-part thing. But as far as Eggers, Garland, and Peele, what, how are you guys feeling now after seeing Nope? I'm all Peele, man. 
Mine's a toss-up between Peel and Eggers. Uh, Peel might edge it out, but... I think Peel and Garland have the same thing. If they made a masterpiece their first outing and just have not reached that since. Yes, you, you are correct about that. Um, so according to our Twitter poll, we're looking at 58% for Jordan Peel, 25% for Ari Aster, 17% in Garland, and nothing for Eggers so far. Oh, not oh. one person voted for Eggers. Over Ar- Garland, are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> Garland's good. I don't know. Well, uh, I, I'll say each this. Each of them have points. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this, though. Like It's, it's going to be Peel for me. Um, although even though Ari Aster could he, could still pull it out, if Ari if Disappointment Boulevard doesn't come out this year, then it's definitely going to be appeal for me. As far as their third features, right? Northmen from Eggers, Men from Alex Garland, and Nope, excuse me, from Peel. I, th- I the Northman has been my favorite so far. Um, I don't want to say by like a lot, but like not by a little amount. However, I can't say Eggers is my favorite. I think it would be between Peel and Garland, but, like, I did not like Men. It's not, like, terrible, but, like, I was kind of disappointed in how much I didn't like it. But I'm kind of disappointed in Nope, too. Not because it's not good. I just don't really like it. Like, I've sorry, beaten a dead horse here, uh, literally. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's going to be between Garland and Peel. But also at the same time, we get to watch all their movies and they're all great. So um, everybody's a winner. Any final thoughts on this? Uh, no, I pretty much said them all. All right. So if you, the listener, have any thoughts about Nope, Jordan Peele, about any directors we talked about, you can write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you like the show, please do us a favor. Tell another friend, a fellow podcast listener, rate and review on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, any of those. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod and our Facebook at Silver Screensavers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me over at MattyXSturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sutkus, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Tyler96. And he sells some really good moral paintings, ladies and gentlemen. Very no, good moral paintings. Pals. If you like, if you like moral paintings, I'm your guy. Uh, Tyler got Instagram <laughs> hacked in a really strange way. Um, I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallat, and on Letterboxd at mgallat. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next time. Stay down to bone. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant. With additional editing by Matt Sturdivant. Intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay. Logo design by Nathan Seidel.